All right, folks, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. This is our opening session on Victory of Light, which is about the story of Hanukkah. So you just read, you just had a few minutes to study what the Talmud has to say about Hanukkah. And remember, remember, the Talmud does not speak extensively about the Festival of Lights. It does not speak extensively about it. It's only, it's found, tucked away in a few pages in Tractate Shabbat. If you want to see what that page looks like, I showed you a random page before. The page that talks about Hanukkah is this one. And it starts about over here. And it ends over here. That's it. So the question is why. Some say because the story of Hanukkah was the last story, is the last holiday that we have. In other words, it's, it, it was the closest to the era of the Talmud. So some argue that maybe it was so fresh in their minds, they didn't need a whole discussion. It wasn't like a complicated topic, because everyone kind of knew what was going on. It's not like an older, thousand-year-old holiday like Passover or whatever. It's not a biblical holiday. The rabbis of that kind of a uh, few hundred years prior had, had, had created the holiday in commemoration of the miracle, as, as we read in here as, and as we'll discuss. So it wasn't something that, that they had to really pull apart with such depth, because they all knew kind of what was going on. Yeah. They're not canonized, right? Canonized, right. So yeah. Does the Talmud generally comment less on non-canonized? It's very possible. It's a re- that's a really good point. Yes, it could very well be that since that book was not canonized, not officially, there's a book of the Maccabees, which is about the story of Hanukkah, but it's not considered part of the holy Jewish scriptures, if you will. Could be that that's why they didn't comment. The question is why. There are political answers to that question, because the Maccabees, they called themselves kings, although they were Kohanim, they weren't from the house of David, so there's a little bit of, a, of an inner, of an internal controversy, whatever. Anyway, the point is that the book wasn't canonized, and there's not much of a mention of Hanukkah in the Talmud, but what we just studied is pretty much what there is. Now, I want to mention something, just so you understand where we are in, in time, in history. The story of Hanukkah takes place in the 2nd century B.C., or B.C.E., before the Common Era. So you're talking about 2000... Uh, it's about 22, 21 and a half years, 1,000 years ago. Okay, so it's like a little over 2,000 years ago. In the year Antiochus, who's the king, under whose rule the story of Hanukkah happens, he rises to the throne in the year 174 BCE. So 2013 plus 174, you get whatever that is, right? It's a 2,190 you know, years or so. Um, okay. Yes? It means that the, the sages uh, uh, unanimously said, oh, the book of Ruth is going to be considered part of the Jewish scripture. Or, who, who are these people the, that do The rabbis, the sages, the Anshe Knesset Agdola, the men of the great assembly. These were giants, the people, the same people that, that, that compiled the Siddur and that, that, that structured pretty much all of Jewish practice that we have today. Um, they were the ones that also had a, uh, had a discussion about which which of the scriptures should be considered to be the official scriptures? At one time, the pretty, pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Times of the, uh, yeah. Now, <coughs> let's, now with some, some of the contextual information, let's, let's analyze what we analyzed, what we studied. So, there are several topics in these few paragraphs that we have on this paper, there are so many areas of Hanukkah that are discussed. 
We, we have a discussion of when you're supposed to light the candles. We have a discussion of how you're supposed to light the candles. We have a question of where you're supposed to light the candles. Right? And why you light the candles in the first place. Those, and there's the why, what, where, why, when, why, etc. All of those, the factual information about how we observe the holiday is contained in these pages of the Talmud. The opening, opening detail that we encounter in this text. And pass this down, please, to Marsha. Okay, the opening, the op- what's the opening theme that we encounter? The opening question. If you had a phrase it in a question, what's the opening question that we encounter? What is it? When? When. When do you light the menorah? When do you light the Chanukiah? When do you light the candelabra? When? In other words, Chanukah begins this year. The first day of Chanukah is? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. When do you light the menorah? When's the first time you light the menorah? What day? Thanksgiving is Thursday. When's the first day? Because the Jewish day starts at night. Wednesday night. Here's my question. When Wednesday night? Wednesday night's a long night, especially because we moved the clocks probably by then. So let's say sunset is already 6 o'clock, maybe 5.45, 6 o'clock, it's getting dark. If you move the... Yeah. Right, right now, sunset is about 6.50. 6.50. You move the clocks back, it's going to be 5.50. Right? So I'll ask you a question. Let's say sunset is 6, 6.20, it's pitch. When do you light the menorah? Oh, what does the Talmud say? The Talmud says... No, we said it. It's from when? You have a window, the Talmud says. You have a window of time. This is all right here in the text. From when? From sunset. So not, so it can't be before sunset. It's from sunset. So, and that's an objective time. You look at the calendar, you Google it, whatever. Sunset. Until when? When's the latest? So, let's say you're running late or whatever, you didn't get around to it. So, I miss sunset. Uh-oh, can't do the mitzvah anymore. No, you have a bigger window than that. When's the end of that window? The last wayfair until people are no longer in the street. In other words, you're supposed to light the menorah after dark. But as long as there are still people in the street. So the Talmud asks, so when is that? And the Talmud answers, until the Talmudai, or the Palmyrians have departed from the street, until they're no longer walking around. Can someone tell me the significance of that? I mean, it's in the text, it's in the footnote. I have a question. Yeah. You're saying today there are always people in the street. Good. So we'll talk about that in a second. Good, good point. But in the times of the Talmud, the Talmud says, when is that cutoff time? When are people no longer in the street? When you see the Talmudai, the Palmyrians, doing their final rounds, you know that that's the end. Who were they? They sold lighting materials. When it's cold in the winter, they sold fuel, they sold wood. And they were the ones, after everyone got home from work, they would start their rounds because people would come home and, and say, oh, it's so freezing, let me lay my... F- oh, whoops, we lost, right? That's, that's what happens. We feel, oh, yeah, you forgot the firewood. So they would go around and sell, go around walking the streets and sell to people that needed firewood for the night. When they finished going through the streets, it wasn't Manhattan, right, back then. It wasn't even downtown uh, Atlanta or wherever, Virginia Highlands. When they finished their rounds, no one else was walking around the streets. So the Talmud says, your window is from sunset until 
The last people have gone through the street. My that's not the window, and when you light them, that's how long they stay lit. Oh, I cut that piece out. Oh, good question. You see those three dots? Yeah. I was thinking about putting that in or not, and I'm like, I don't want to confuse everybody. Sorry. No, it's a great question. The Talmud addresses it. Dude, you can write this thing. By the way, I want to point out that many of our grandparents, many grandparents of... Of, of, of those of you sitting in this room, study this exact tra- grandparents or great grandparents or great 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 grandparents studied this same section of the Talmud with this the same tractate, etc. It's an incredible sense of connection. I just want to I just want to raise the consciousness. It's a tremendous connection here that many of you have with uh, with with your ancestors in this in this very moment, studying and analyzing the same Talmud. That they did. Now, look what it says here. It says, it says like this. My love, the ikaf sahadar madakla. Does this not mean that if it right clearly? Does this not mean the Talmud says is not the implication of this that it has to let last for that amount of time? And if it goes out, ikaf madlikla. If it goes out, you have to relight it. Answers the Gemara. Loi, no. The e loi ad loi is no right. Lo, lo, no. The e lo. Adlik, madlik. If you have not yet lit it, you have to light it by that point of time. So it's not how long it has to last, it's when you have to light it, when it has to, when you have to start the kindling by. Understand? Alright? Uh, yeah. Well, no, again. <laughs> the Talmud the the will surprise you. Now, now, okay, so that's, that's the first part. That was the first paragraph. So again, you're sitting here, right? You're in Atlanta, Georgia. You want to light the menorah. It's Wednesday night. It's the eve of Thanksgiving. It's the first night of Hanukkah, most importantly. And you have your Hanukkah. You have your little menorah or your big menorah, right? And it's ready to go. When do you light it? You got to look at sunset after sunset, but before the action st- slows down in your street on the street. Now, my question of the critical questions is: Why is the mitzvah? Why is the now? You, you have to think about this. It's not here. Why is the mitzvah of kindling the Hanukkah lights at night only while wayfarers are still in the street? Oh, and I heard. Right? I, I, I heard. I heard some answers as well to that effect. What's the? What's? What does this teach us about the significance of the mitzvah? It's community. Also, it's important that it not only be lit, but it also be observed and seen by others. So the word, the phrase in in Jewish legal literature, and you find it in the in the Talmud and the Talmudic commentaries. There's a concept of pirsume nisa. What is pirsum? What is pirsum? Publicizing, publicity. Pirsum is, pirsume nisa is publicizing the miracle. It's not enough that you're lighting the menorah and you know about it. You're lighting the Hanukkah lights and you know about it. There's an element of the holiday that's about publicizing the miracle. Have you ever heard about a public menorah lighting that Chabad's are putting on? Right? Why is it that we don't do a public matzah baking or matzah eating celebration? Because part and parcel of the mitzvah of Hanukkah is that it be seen by whom? By the wayfarers in the street. Listen to this. Right? The significance is you're supposed to light it while people outside will still be able to pass by and... 
The implication is, see what you're doing. So it's not enough to do the mitzvah, like putting on tefillin. You're not supposed to put on tefillin like, like uh, you know, standing in the middle of the street. There's no mitzvah, special mitzvah. It doesn't enhance the mitzvah. In any... When it comes to Hanukkah, as we see also later on in the text, you have to light the menorah. I don't want to jump ahead. You have to light the menorah in a way, in a space, in a place where it can be seen by others, by the multitudes, by the masses. All right. That's why the Lubavitcher Rebbe was very much, uh, he started this concept of the public menorah lightings. He said, look, let's literally take the message to the streets of light and beauty, harmony, religious freedom, etc. Okay. Let's get back to the Talmudic text. So far, make sense? All right. Hold the questions for a second. Our rabbis taught the next section. The next paragraph, right? We're going through this piece by piece. The next paragraph talks about how you light the menorah. So did anybody catch the three different levels of, of kindling the menorah? It says, it says the basic mitzvah, it says what the zealous do, and it says what the extremely zealous do. What we, might, what we would call today maybe the ultra-orthodox. Ooh, right? That's like a dirty word. Right? So like what the extremely zealous would do. But, and, and, and okay, and we're going to talk about that in a second. What is the basic way, so on, what is the basic way to do the mitzvah? Someone tell me very clearly, what's the basic way to do the mitzvah? What, how many candles? One and then two and increasing. Wait. Yeah. What's the basic way? One for a household and then more for an ultra-orthodox. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, before you get there. One a day. One a night. One a night. No shaman. One candle. How many the second night? One candle. How many the third night? One candle. What if you have five people in your house? How many do you light? One candle. That's the second. The commandment our rabbis taught. I'm going to reach. Oh, hold on. The, our rabbis taught. The commandment of Hanukkah. Our rabbis taught, the commandment of Hanukkah requires one light per household. Footnote 2, one light is lit every evening of the eight days for the entire household. No matter how many people you have in the house, even if you have three generations, right? And, and whatever, it doesn't make a difference. You have 20 people in your house, you light one candle. Guess what the menorahs would look like? A candle. One candlestick, you're done. No shams. We're going to get there in a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But the mitzvah lights, we're going to discuss why we need a shamash in a second. But the mitzvah light, in the basic way to do the mitzvah, you want to fulfill the mitzvah, one light. The first night, one light. The second night, one light. The third night, no matter how many people you have in your house. Hold on one second. Now, listen to this. Listen to this. The Talmud continues. If you're more zealous, and the word in the Talmud is mahadrin. Mahadrin doesn't mean zealous. It means something else. Really, I don't like the translation of zealous. Mahadrin really means if you value and treasure the mitzvah. Hidur, hadar, means beautiful. To beautify the mitzvah. If you want to do it in a more beautiful way, the Talmud says, then you should kindle a light for each member of the household. How many lights per each member of the household? One. How many, so let's say you have five people in your home. Five members of the household. First night of Hanukkah, how many do you light? Second night of Hanukkah, how many do you light? Third night of Hanukkah, how many do you light? Okay, and it repeats itself all eight days. The course, so the, uh, as, uh, a more beautiful way to do it is not just one per household per night, but one per member of the household per night. Got it so far? Good. 
says the Talmud, Mahadrin Minha Mahadrin. If you're really, if you want to not only beautify the mitzvah, not only you treasure the mitzvah, but you super, super duper treasure the mitzvah, then there's a dispute. Then there's an argument. Then there's a difference of opinion. Right? Notice. And the extremely zealous, what should I do? Two opinions. One opinion says, what do you do? Beit Shammai says, First night, how many do you light? Second night, how many do you light? Etc. You go down, decreasing every night. And Beit Hillel, the academy of... Beit means academy in this context. It can mean house, it means here academy. The academy of Shammai. There are two major Talmudic academies or Mishnahic academies. Hillel's academy and Shammai's academy. Shammai's academy says... Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. How many candles should your menorah have? How many, how many lights, how many places to put lights in it should, does it need to have according to this? Eight, right? Because you need it for sure eight. Maybe plus one, which we'll see soon why we need one. But you need for sure eight. The first night you line them all up, Shammai, Beit Shammai says, and then each night you pull out one. Hillel says, the Academy of Hillel says, what do you do? Opposite way. First night you light one, second night you light two, third night you light three. What do we do today? Who do we? So let me ask you a question. In the in the dispute, in the controversy, in the disagreement between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, which opinion do we hold? Like Hillel. Good. In the three layers of basic mitzvah observance, special mitzvah observance, and super duper duper special mitzvah observance, which one do we all do? Like. Super duper. Super, super duper Hillel. That's exactly what we do. All of us today, and this is an interesting thing to think about, why is it that all of us, when it comes to other mitzvot, there are, there are always ways to like enhance the mitzvah, but pretty much we do mitzvah, the basic mitzvah. It comes to Hanukkah, we all not only enhance the mitzvah, but we upgrade, it's like the upgrade upgrade. It's like the limited edition, special run. We all, that, that, be, that has become the default way of doing the mitzvah. I, I challenge you, I challenge you to find anybody who lights one candle per night and you ask them, what is this for? Hanukkah, and you say, why are you doing this? Like, oh, because the Talmud says I don't have to do this. I challenge you to find anybody that, first of all, knows that, and B, does that. <laughs> no one does it. Everyone has, you go into any Judaic store, no matter where you are, everyone knows a Hanukkah menorah has eight or nine with the Shamish branches. Yeah. No, no, according to that, you wouldn't even have a candelabra with multiple lights. You don't need that. Yeah, you just have a candlestick with a candle in it. Or you have a lamp, an oil lamp with oil in it and a wick. That's it, you're done. Oh yeah, it's, I think it's more fun. But I want to I highlight the fact, again, as, as we think about this. Oh, and this was my critical question. Right, turn to the back of the page. Right, critical questions. How many levels of observance are there for lighting the Hanukkah lights? How many levels? Well, basic levels. There's a dispute on three levels. Which level is accepted and practiced by all today? The highest. The one that says you increase or decrease. That that level. Okay, now. 
third question is what is at the core of the disagreement between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel concerning how we light the Hanukkah lights in that third level. In other words, what's at the core? Why does one say you go down and the other one say you go up? What's the answer to that? What's the answer that the Talmud gives? We don't increase That's what Hillel says. What would Shammai counteract with? The bullocks, okay. What's the other, and that's, that's only one way of explaining the disagreement. What's the other way? Potential or actual? And we find this a recurring theme throughout the disputes between the academies of Shammai and Hillel. Shammai is always looking at potential. Hillel says, show me the money. What do you have actually? Listen to this. Beit Shammai says, you guys thought you were coming to a Kabbalah class. You ended up coming to a Talmud class this morning. I hope it's, I hope it's okay. Yeah? So first, is it okay? Oh, it works, right? Beit, Hill, Beit Shammai says, again, wait, 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 let me slow it down. We're now trying to explain why in the third way of doing, the, the, great, the most the ideal way of doing the mitzvah of lighting the Chanukah the Hanukkah candles, where Beit Shammai says 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and Hill says 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Why do they say go down or go up? For this, the Talmud says... Ula says, in Israel, two Talmudic sages disagreed about why they disagreed. How Talmudic is that? I defy you to find something more Talmudic than that. There's a disagreement between Shammai and Hillel. And you ask the question, why are they arguing? And now you have two people arguing about why they're arguing. There's two different... Rabbi Yossi Bar Avin and Rabbi Yossi Bar Zvida. They each have their own take on why Shammai and Hillel have a disagreement. Morning. So they each have a difference of opinion as to why Hillel and Shammai are disagreeing. What's the first rationale for the for the argument? You need a law degree to figure this stuff out, huh? Yeah. This is the, this is the Talmud. It sharpens the mind. It should correspond to the days to come. Ah, uh, Hillel. So the first way of understanding it is potential versus actual. So you have Hillel. Sorry, Shammai looks at potential. You're sitting here Wednesday night. Erev Turkey Day. Erev, uh, it's the first night of Hanukkah. How many days of Hanukkah are yet to come? Eight. eight. So you light eight. The second night comes around. How many days of Hanukkah are yet to come? Seven. seven. You light seven and so on and so forth. Hillel says, you don't go by potential. You go by actual. You go by how many days have gone. And this is going to be a little questionable. You go by how many days have already gone. That's why I put in the explanation of Rashi in a footnote. Sitting on the first night of Hanukkah, Wednesday night, how many days have gone? What, what's your first answer? Zero. Zero. But according to the, but if you look in footnote number six, Rashi says the day that one is currently in is considered to be one of the departing days. That's why I wrote that in the footnote. Rashi says that according to Hillel, the day that you're on is considered to be already in the movement of departure. Right? You've already lost the moment after sunset. You're already losing time in that day. It's already considered as if it's it's like when you turn 40, for example. Right? You're you you've passed 40 years, but you're already in your 41st year. So when you're in, when you're on the first night of Hanukkah, ooh, you like the double uh, double uh, helix right there. When you're on the first night of Hanukkah, that's where it comes in. You've, it's already considered as the first day is in, is in route, is, is going out. So how many do you like the first night? Thank you, one. And the second, you're, you're right with me. The second night, one day has passed and the second one is already going. So the second night of Hanukkah, how many do you like? Two, etc. That's 
Everyone with me so far? Hold on one second. You with me so far? Yes? That's one way to explain the, the, the controversy or the disagreement. And there's another way. There's another way. The other way is, and the other, again, they're disagreeing as to why they're disagreeing. The other way of understanding the dispute is that Beit Shammai likens the menorah or the Hanukkah kindling to how we offer the bullocks on Sukkot, which some of you asked me, and I mentioned to some of you, but let me share with, with the entire crowd. On Sukkot, the Torah tells us, Sukkot is a seven-day festival. The Torah says on the first day of Sukkot, you're supposed to offer 13 bullocks. And on the second day, 12. And on the third day, 11. And on the fourth day, 7. And the fifth... I jumped there. Let me try that again. 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, and on the 7th day you offer 7. Now what's 13 plus 12 plus 11 plus 10 plus 9 plus 8 plus 7? I'll do the math for you quickly. Carry the 3. 70. The total is 70. 70 corresponding to the 70 nations which will become significant in a few months when we hit that part in the text. By the way, I have to have to let you in on a secret. Every detail that we're talking about from the Talmud will be explained mystically. That's why it's so important that we do this. Okay. So, so according to the second way of understanding the dispute, Shammai is saying, you light the menorah, you light the Chanukiah, you light the candles, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Not potential, actual, forget that. You, because you do it like the bullocks of Sukkot. Just like they decreased every day, so you decrease in how you light the Chanukah, how you light the Chanukah flames. And what about Hillel? What's so new, Hillel? Why do you say go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8? So Hillel says, when it comes to holy things, you always ascend, and you never descend. When it comes to a mitzvah, you don't want to start at the top and go down. Right? You know what they say? The only job where you start off at the top is digging graves. You don't want to, you don't want to be... That's what they say. You don't want to... You don't want to be... Right? You don't want to go down when it comes to matters of... All, that's a morbid joke to start off a Sunday. Or to, you know... Alright, so here's the deal. When it comes to matters of holiness, Hill says, you don't want to decrease. You want to go up. So you start off with one. The next day, oh, thank God we add more light. Third day, oh, even more light. It's wonderful. Good. Either way you explain it, there's still a dispute. Which, which opinion do we follow? The Academy of Shammai or the Academy of Hillel? Hillel, universally. So we have eight candles, mitzvah candles, plus a shamash, which we'll read about soon when we need it. We have eight mitzvah candles. The first night we light one, second night two, then three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's how everyone does it. Yeah. I'll regret having shared this with everybody then. <laughs> no, we, we, everyone does it that way. We don't want to, we don't want to deviate from it. Alright, now. Next paragraph. Next. Is it really the answer? The answer, I mean, if you the answer one, is... You'd be fulfilling the mitzvah. Yes, yes, yes. You would be. But, but it's not advisable. <laughs> Are there other interpretations, though, of the one to... I mean, the thinking with the eight is almost going... It, I mean, we talked in the, in the other book about descending and sort of a direct, like studying. So now you're going cabalistic on me. All right, hold, hold it, hold it. We're gonna we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about it. I'll, t- I'll give you. Okay, I'll give you a, a little a little nugget of insight. The question is, I, you know, I'm not gonna give you the nugget of insight. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to it. I'm, just a nugget. How do you battle darkness? You fight it and try to diminish it, or you just try to focus on what you can do and bring more light into the world. 
Uh, it's one. That's one angle on it. Okay. Uh, just a nugget. A nugget. If it if it did anything good, if not, not. Now, so uh, now we have ready for this. We have three three levels of how to do the mitzvah. Within the third level, you have two opinions. Within those two opinions, you have two opinions about the two opinions. Everyone with me so far? Hopefully. Now the Talmud cites a story. There were two old men in si- in Sidon. It sounds like where are we going with this? And the Talmud says, huh? Right, it's like, ouch. Right, so the question is, what does the story of the two old men in Sidon teach us? The Talmud cites the story. Two old men in Sidon. One did as Beit Shammai, one, the other did as Beit Hillel. One lit their, their Chanukiah, one lit their menorah. Eight down to one, and one lit it one up to eight. Why is the Talmud telling us this? Because of the next lines, bottom paragraph. You see where it says, the former gave the reason of his action that it should correspond to the books of the festival, while the latter stated his reason because we promoted matters of sanctity but do not reduce. What's the point of that story? The point, huh? What's the point of the story? It played out in a practical world good, but what else does it teach us? It actually emphasizes one point. That the reason for the dispute of Hill and Shammai seems to be not like the former reason, but like the latter reason. Because in real time, when people were asked, why did you do this or why did you do it that way? They one-sided the bullocks of Sukkot, and one-sided that we ascend in holiness. They did not cite the reason of potential versus actual. So it seems like that becomes the primary reason this will become critical in our text. We're going to open with this idea in, in, in our Kabbalistic study. It's worth a shot, right? At some point, perhaps. I will not, I will not you know, tie myself down to that. Now, it seems like the primary reason for the dispute is because either you're focusing on the... Either you're, we parallel the, the bullocks of Sukkot, or forget the bullocks of Sukkot. We don't want to go down when it comes to holiness. Next, please turn the page over to the second side. All right? The top paragraph tells us where we put the Chanukiah. Where do you put the Hanukkah lamp? And I'm going to ask you, where do we put the Hanukkah lamp? In the window. Facing where? Facing the outside. Right? By the door of one's... Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. wait. Slow it down. Slow it down. Slow it down. A rabbi's taught, it is incumbent to place the Hanukkah lamp by the door of one's house on the outside. What does that mean? What does it mean by the door of one's house on the outside? What does that mean? It means straight up. Yeah. Just you can't, you can't. Just open the door, put your menorah. Good. Menorah is meant to be lit near facing the street. So if you have a house and you have an entrance, you have a you know you have a street entrance. And you have a front door. You open up the door. You put it near the doorway. You light your Hanukkah. You hopefully the wind doesn't blow it out and you're good to go. Says the Talmud. What happens if you dwell upstairs? Right? You, you're on a split level. And you're upstairs. So you don't have a door that goes outside. Now, obviously you have a door that goes in, but that door is mostly used by the downstairs fellow. And you're upstairs, so where should you put it if you're upstairs? <laughs> Window. You parachute out of your house. I don't know. Go figure. You uh, zip line. That's how you roll. You're not fooling around with doors. Zip line, my friends. So what do you do? Where do you put it? And the window nearest the street. Right? So what's the theme? What's the, what's the common denominator? Where do you want to put it? In a place where? Can be, can be seen. Why? Remember what I said before? What's the phrase? Who remembers it? Pirsume Nisa. It's not about only you doing the mitzvah. It's about others seeing that you're doing the mitzvah. 
Right? You're supposed to post it on Facebook. In my, not literally, but figuratively. Yeah? So on that theme, if you're lighting it outside, the way people would be viewing it, you would be the same. Right? Would you be lighting it in an hour? That's a good question. But if you're upstairs, which way are you lighting it? Is it for you on the inside or for the people That's a outside? great question. You understand the question? Yeah. In other words, because the way you turn the menorah, you're supposed to light, which way are you supposed to write? Right to left or left to right? Right to left. You light right to left. So you light right to left. So the first candle on the first night is, because we do like Hillel, is one on the, all the way on the right. And then you do one, two, and one, two, three, one, two, three, four. And then you move that way. It's like Hebrew, right to left. Quite, but to people on the street, what does it look like? Left to right. So the question is, right, Josh's question is, do you face it to you right to left or to the street right to left? What's the answer? To you right to left. Yeah. But the bottom line is people see the mitzvah being done, but to you, you should have it in the, in the correct orientation. That's what it says. Now, it's a great question. Yeah. It's not your mitzvah. You didn't do the miracle. No, 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 no. You're pursuing Nisa. You're not publicizing the fact that you did a mitzvah. You're not wearing a big old sticker that says, I did a mitzvah. You're, what you're doing is, you're publicizing God's miracle of Hanukkah. Now, what was that miracle? The Talmud talks about it soon. You're not, it's not about you. It's about teaching others. It's about spreading the word about this great miracle that God did. Now, times of danger, what does the Talmud say? Times of danger, you can, it's sufficient to place it on a table. Which table? Which table are you putting it on? First of all, what are times of danger? What does that mean, times of danger? Boom! Someone read the phone, right? When there's religious persecution. This is Zappa. Go figure. Right? In times when, if you publicize the fact that you were kindling the menorah, they might come in and arrest you, God forbid. So in that case, you don't have to go out on a limb and say, Ah, that's it, I'm doing it. Take it easy. Light it on the table. Where? Which table? Inside your home. Away from the windows and the doors. Light it in the interior of your house where no one else can see it. In other words, you're still doing the mitzvah. And what about publicizing it? Well, publicizing it is a dangerous proposition. So you don't have to do it. Does it make sense? Okay. Why does it say on the outside? I mean, it seems like Where, by the door of one's house on the outside? Yeah. Oh, because in those days, they had two different doors. You had doors. They, sometimes they lived in doors that led to courtyards, and the courtyards led to the street. The question is, where exactly do you do it? Bottom line is, you want to do it toward the outside, as much outside as possible. And not literally outside your house. It doesn't have to be outside the house, no. I mean, it, was, it could be like near the outside. Yeah, it could be near the outside. Could be. In Jerusalem, it's always outside the house. Right outside. I've never been there in the old city for Hanukkah. How did, where, how did, it, 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 everyone lives on the street, like right outside the house. Like, mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Like, around. It's like, mm-hmm. Not everywhere. Not everywhere. In the Eretz Well, maybe in the Eretz but not in the Right, I'm saying like, in the Eretz So it's usually in the windows. Yeah. But maybe, so, maybe some are old school. What do they have? A menorah box to protect it against the wind? Yeah. They put up a, like a loose sight box type thing, right? It's like, yeah, I guess I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's made of it yet. It's like in a box with a 
Right. Yeah. There's a nap for that. All right, now, um, so in times of danger, you don't have to go out on a limb. Next. Now, next, so, so, so far makes sense? So far so good? Yes? Now, the next paragraph has a tremendous implications. And, and, I, in or, and that's why I asked the question, how many branches does our menorah have? What's the answer? What's the answer? Nine. Nine. Look at this. I'm going I'm to do something. I'm going to try to do this. Ah, you're right. I love this. <laughs> I didn't even know that. I mean, I didn't know that, but I didn't remember. Okay, check this out. Wherever I go, I travel with this guy. Four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Sounds good. What's this guy? Shamish. What does Shamish mean? Service. Correct, but the mitzvah candles are only these, the lower ones. This one is the helper or the servant candle. The question is, why do you need this? I'll ask you another question. Well, you can't take a match and light it and throw the match away. Well, you need you need one sitting up there the whole time. What do you need it for? You already learned the answer. Because the Talmud says, Rava said another lamp is required for its light to be used. You see that? Wait, you see that second paragraph in the back? Right? Who's with me? Rava said, another lamp is required for its light to be used. In footnote 10, since one is not allowed to use the light of the Hanukkah lights for personal mundane use. You're not allowed to read, for example, utilize, you can't use a mitzvah for your own benefit. Mitzvahs aren't about you. So, to, let's say you have, and back in the day they didn't have electricity, etc. So, you have, a, you have a candelabra, you have a Hanukkah, you have a menorah in your house, and you have, let's say, the eighth night of Hanukkah, you have eight lights, whoo! Great, I'm going to open up my Clancy and go to town. Right? You never know. So, what does the Talmud say? That's not okay. It doesn't say it clearly, but the implication is it's not okay. Why? Because you can't use a mitz, you can't use a mitzvah to read Clancy. Maybe King, you know, yeah, but not Clancy. It's like a different, it's a different league. So, so here's the dealio. You need another candle. You need a shamish so that when you use the light, you can say, I'm not using these lights, I'm using this light. And that's not a mitzvah. This one's not the mitzvah. And the first night of Hanukkah, you're supposed to light one. I, I have two, so the other one, just in case I use the light, I'm using that light and not the, not the mitzvah light. Make sense? Yes? Yes? But if there is a blazing fire, it's unnecessary. See what the Talmud says? If you have a fire next to it anyway blazing, then you don't need the... Why? Because even if you're reading Clancy, you're not using the mitzvah lights. Everybody with me? Because you have a blazing fire nearby anyway. What's the question? So why today, when we have can, when we have lighting, do we do the shamish? It's a good question. Tradition, tradition number one and number two. The shamish also teaches us an important lesson. Sometimes when you help others, you feel like a shmata. Right? You help, I help others and what do I get? The menorah reminds us if you help others, if you serve others, where do you really stand spiritually? Above them all, higher than everyone else. So the shamash has an important lesson as well. Um, even if it's not for this function of making sure that we're not using the light for our own personal use. Or maybe we're just very important because the Talmud continues. We all, right, we all read this, but in the case of an important person, even if there's a blazing fire, another lamp is required. Why? Because important people don't use the lights of blazing fires. They use the lights of the candelabras. 
Again, today, even important people use regular lighting. But Okay. Fine. So far, so good. So we explain when you light... No. All right. So we explain when we light, when we light the menorah, how we... The, the, the candles. When? From sunset until people stop walking around the streets. The next question was... How do we light it? And we said, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Why is that? We had a few different reasons why. Mainly because we ascend the matters of holiness. We talked about where you light the menorah. You light it in a, facing the public area unless it's dangerous to do so, and then you don't have to. We explained that when you light it, you should have a servant candle so that you don't um, use the light of the mitzvah for personal use. And finally, we asked the critical question. Why are we doing this in the first place? The, the major question. And the Gemara asks, the Talmud asks, my Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah about? And as Rashi explains, in commemoration of which miracle was it established as a festival? Why did this is a rabbinic festival? The Torah does not mention Hanukkah, mostly because the story of Hanukkah happened many years after the story of the Torah, after the five books of Moses were already completed and written. The Talmud asked the question, so why did the sages go out of their way to establish a holiday? What, what, what miracle happened? What's the story? And the Talmud gives, I'm going to read this inside, the Talmud gives a very simple narrative. Last paragraph on this page before the critical questions. For our rabbis taught, on the 25th day of Kislev, begin the days of Hanukkah, which are eight, there are eight days. By the way, the 25th of Kislev is coming up in about a little over a month. So it's a little over four weeks. It's going to be that Wednesday night, etc. So 25th day of Kislev begins Hanukkah, and there are eight days of Hanukkah, during which lamentation for the dead and fasting are forbidden. So there's no mourning. It's like a holiday. It's a festival. We postpone mourning till after the holiday. We don't mourn during the holiday. We don't fast. We don't fast because you know, we're sad or whatever. We don't, there's no fasting. There's no lamenting, etc. For when the why? For when the Greeks entered the temple, they defiled all the oils in it. And when the Hasmonean dynasty, the Hashmonaim, prevailed against and defeated them, they, the Hasmoneans, searched and found only one cruise of oil, which possessed the seal of the high priest, but which contained sufficient oil for only one day's lighting. Yet a miracle occurred, and th- th- yet a miracle occurred there, and they lit the lamp for eight days. The following year, these days were appointed a festival with the recitation of Hallel and Thanksgiving. So, what happened? The Greeks came, and they defiled the oil. And then, when the Hasmoneans prevailed, they were looking. They found only one flask of oil that was only enough to last for how many days? One day, miracle happened, it lasted for eight days, and so the year later, the next year, they already established it an eight day festival. Why did they like the Good question. There's a mitzvah in the Torah. The Torah says when you have a holy temple, one of the things you're supposed to have there is something called the menorah, the candelabra. And it's important to mention that the menorah of the temple was very different than this menorah that we call menorah, it's the Chanukiah, really. Why? The temple menorah did not have eight branches, did not have nine branches. It had seven branches and no middle branch. So I, I know this is metal, I don't really want to break it, but imagine if I took this, bent it down, and then took these last two and bent it down. You would have three... Oh no, I'm sorry. I don't have to bend it down. Cut this shorter. This should be the same height. Take these two out. One, two, three. And then... So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's no shamish. This is part of the mitzvah, the center branch, and there's only seven. You don't have you don't have these two on the side. 
That was how the temple menorah looked. So they needed to light it. So the Greeks came in, and you needed, light it, you needed to light it with pure oil. The Greeks came in, and what they did was, they defiled the oil. They, what they, and how did they defile the oil? All they did was break the seals. Imagine, right, you go to a store, and you, you're looking for a beverage, you're looking for a bottle of water, and you pick it up, and you notice that little seal, that little thing seal is severed. Oh, we're, we're demonstrating with this. What do you, what do you, yeah. We've, we try to do, uh, we try to do miracles here, and uh, finally paid up. Yes. All right, you can stop now. Uh, wait, wait, so, so the Greeks came, so you're buying a bottle of water and it has that little, that thing disconnected. Are you buying that one or are you putting it back and pulling another one? I would hope you put it back and pull a new one that has the seal intact. When it came to the oil, the Greeks, it was sealed. They had wax seals, however they sealed it. The Greeks came, the Syrian Greeks more precisely, and they broke the seals. And so when the Jews finally took over, reclaimed their temple, they took over the temple, the Greeks did. When the Jews finally won the battle and took over the temple, they were looking for, the, for pure oil to light their menorah. They, they didn't have candles. They didn't use candles. They used oil, oil lamps. And they couldn't find any oil. They only found oil enough to last for one day. But it took, and this, this part of the story is cut out from the Talmudic uh, concise version, it took... Guys... Thanks. It took eight days to get new oil. So they gave it a shot. They said, let's light it anyway. And a miracle happened and it lit that one day's worth of oil lit for all seven days. By the way, in the temple, they didn't light every day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, they, one and then two and then three. They every day, they filled up the seven branches and they lit them. And it stayed lit till from, from, the, from the afternoon until kind of burnt out in the middle of the night. That's how they did it in the temple. Hold on, hold on one second because I have to get through some more information. And we'll take all questions at the end. Now, this is what the Talmud says. The miracle occurred for eight days. Therefore, we have eight days of the miracle. Make sense so far? That's why it's an eight-day festival. Okay. What happened what happened after eight days? They were able to get new oil. They were able to, oh, here's the problem. The oil groves were in a place called Tekoa. Not Tekoa, Georgia. It was in Tekoa near Israel. That's where all the olive groves were. Or the ones that they used for the menorah kindling and for other things that they need oil for. There's some sacrifices require oil, like the meal offerings. They mix flour and oil and they fried it up, whatever. So they needed oil. They needed to press fresh oil. Kosher oil. It took eight days to till. It was a few days travel, and then it took a few days processing, and then they had to schlep back. They didn't have any bullet trains or any, you know, so or helicopters. So it took a while. After eight days, they got new oil. The miracle ceased. What doesn't? What doesn't? So according to the Talmud, why do we celebrate Hanukkah? Why? What happened that we celebrate? That we commemorate the miracle of? The miracle of taking over the temple happened in one day. Why is it an eight-day festival? Why, why is critical question number seven? Why is Hanukkah celebrated as an eight-day festival? Because of which miracle? The oil. The miracle of the oil. Notice what the Talmud does not mention. The Talmud does not say that we commemorate the military victory. 
or taking over the temple. It doesn't say that. On which nest, on which Rashi says, on which miracle was this holiday established? And what's the answer? The miracle of the cruise of oil that lasted for eight days. That should have lasted for one day. It does not mention the military victory. As an aside, when they took back the temple and they were looking for oil, it's only as an aside they mention it there. So, another critical question that I could have asked, that I'll ask now is, why don't we make a bigger deal about the military victory? Why is it all about the oil? All about the, the, the oil lasting for eight days. Why not talk about the miracle, the miracle of, the, of the military victory? That, which was, right? Why don't we talk about that? Give that a little bit more, more, more play in the Talmud. Alright, that's a question. The other question is, that we can ask now, is why is it an eight-day holiday based on the miracle of the oil? If in reality, how many days were miraculous? Because the light was supposed, the oil was going to last for one day regardless. So, how many miracle days were there of the oil? I I know you have an answer, but hold, let me let me let me establish a question. Then I'm going to get to your answer. Hold on. First of all, there are. Dozens of answers, but I want to hear what you have. So again, understand the question. The question is, the oil was supposed to last for how many days? One. It lasted for how many days? Eight. Oh, so it's an eight-day holiday celebrating the miracle. Slow it down. How many days were miraculous? Seven. Seven. It was supposed to last for one anyway. So why do we celebrate it for eight days, not seven? It's only seven miraculous days. Right. Oh, so you're saying the fact that they found one cruise in the first place was a miracle. Oh, that's one answer. One answer that's given. Okay, good. Wait, wait, wait. Let's understand Augustus' answer. One answer, and this answer is cited by commentaries. One answer is the miracle of finding the cruise in the first place. That Even that one day's worth. Or the fact that the Greeks somehow missed it when they were defiling other oils. That's the one day. And then the seven days of miraculous burning. Good answer. What else? Was it seven days and eight nights? No, no, no. It's, no it's, <laughs> you've won seven days and eight nights. No, because you start the, oh, the price is right. <laughs> Who loved Plinko as a kid? My favorite, right? I love Plinko. I, th- I need to get, I, need, I just, this is a total tangent, but I feel really connected to Plinko. I need to get a Plinko board just for the house, right? Just like for random stuff. Maybe put chores at the bottom for the kids. And everyone, kid, the kids put their thing. Right? Clean up dad's office. Boom! Got it. <laughs> Congratulations. Alright. And then we'll put like one like actual like positive thing. Alright. Yeah. Oh, you had that one? Okay. Anybody else have other answers? Oh, now it's getting interesting. What's the significance of eight? Good. That's enough. What's the significance of eight? Eight. All right, so this is one more, right? Okay, good. So mystically, okay, so let's listen to a little bit of mysticism. Seven represents nature, natural cycle of time, space, whatever, seven. And seven days a week. Eight is one more. It's the how you doing to nature. How you doing? How you doing? It's like the one that transcends nature. Eight is something supernatural. But, again, it seems like there were only seven days of the miracle of the oil. But, again, finding the oil could be one. Some say the military victory is signified by that first day. Right? So, we do celebrate this. The, the, the military victory is day one. And the other seven days are 
the oil. Or the cruise, finding the cruise, or them not tampering as day one, and the other ones are seven. I want to share with you more answers in a moment. I'm thinking about the association between the number, what CC is saying, and the letter, the numerology, the, what does that mean? What is the, what is eight? And what is seven? Oh, eight is ches. And seven. The letter chet. Seven is zayim. By the way, Hanukkah is an acronym. If you take an acronym, if you divide Hanukkah into two words in Hebrew, it's Chanu, Ches Nun Vav, Chanu, which means they, they, they rested. Chafhei on the 25th. 25th of Kislev. Chanu Chafhei. Chanukah. Anyway, getting back to this, to this, to this area of, of discussion. So, another answer that's given is that on the first day... What's the answer that's given? Some say that the way they lit the menorah, listen to this. What did, they knew it was going to take eight days to get new oil. So what did they do on day one? You think they poured in all the oil? Psh, they didn't do that. They poured in an eighth of the oil. Anybody with me? They had one flask. They didn't pour in the whole flask on day one because that's not good planning. What about day two? So they divided the flask into eight segments. And only used an eighth of the oil for day one. And yet, that eighth of an oil on day one lasted for the full time. Turns out, even on day one, there was a miracle of the oil. That's another answer that's given. Some say, when they poured every day the oil, even day one, when they, they filled it up, the flask refilled itself. How you doing? Right? So, even on the first day, once you poured in the oil, it's like, what? How do we get back up there? It doesn't make sense. Boom, miracle on day one. Anyway, there's different ways to explain the miracle. What do you have? You're saying the one glass one glass of oil, they put in an eighth, and that lasted No, 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 no. That lasted for that one day. So that an eighth of the oil. Imagine you fill up your gas tank for an eighth of the, an eighth of an eighth of a tank. And it lasts for a full tank's worth. That would be a miracle. And that would be cost-efficient. <laughs> that would be very economical. Um, <laughs> drive the Prius. So, th- so what I'm saying is that that, that that is the equivalent of what some say happened. And that's why even that first day is a miracle. An eighth of oil lasting a full amount of oil. That's tremendous. Let me ask you another question. You feel like you have a better handle on the whole, on the whole holiday now? Hopefully, or, or not? Okay, hopefully yes. Let me ask you another question. And this is the opening question of the discourse. And with this, we'll have kind of started the text. You ready for this? You're going to love it. What's Shammai's reasoning? Shammai, Shammai, Shammai. Shammai says you go 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. We don't practice like Shammai. We get it. We don't practice like Shammai. But what's his rationale? No, we had two different opinions. What's his rationale? But according to the one that was supported by the story of the two old men in Sidon, what's the rationale for... Shammai? The bullocks. Pariachag, exactly. The bullocks of Sukkot. I'll ask you a question. Simple question. What? Who? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Listen to the question. I, I got to stand up for this. I understand that on Sukkot, the Torah says 13, 12, 11, 10, 9. But it's not Sukkot. It's Hanukkah. It's not Sukkot. It's Hanukkah. And now we're talking about how to do the mitzvah. You're telling me, well, the bulls of Sukkot are... 
What do the bowls of Sukkot have to do with the price of tea in China and or Hanukkah candles? Understand the question? Did, it, did that occur to anybody? It's like, what, they're finding some random, like, what's the association? It's like, maybe you should light the menorah with matzah because on Passover we light matzah. Like, we eat matzah. Like, what's the connection? It's like, oh, light it in descending order because that's how you offer the bulls of, of Sukkot. What? What's the connection? It's true. It's all true. You, light, you, you don't light the bulls of Sukkot. You, you, uh, did I say light? I may have, may have misspoke. Sorry. Light, well, that, that I meant, but this, the bulls... Yeah, we don't want to... Okay. No, we don't want to go there. So, you offer the bullocks on Sukkot, on Sukkot in descending order. That's true. But what does that have to do with Hanukkah? What is the rationale of the association? I understand that one goes down, so Shaman says, this should also go down. Why, why are you comparing them? What's the comparison? Is there an intuitive relationship between the two holidays? Is there an intuitive relationship between bulls and lights? Is there an intuitive relationship between... What's the, what's, the, what's the connection that you would draw from one to the other? Hillel's rationale is a very universal one. When it comes to matters of holiness, go up, not down. It makes sense. You always look to increase. You don't want to decrease. You don't want to start off on top and then uh, you know, slack off. You don't want to do that. You always go up. But Shammai says, no, no, we're going to pull some random association or some random law regarding the bullocks of Sukkot and apply it here. Why are we applying it here? Understand the question? Did, 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 any, did this cross anybody's mind that it was kind of strange? Yes. Good. This is the opening question. Let's pass this around. We're going to read literally the opening question. Oh man, should we do it? Yes, we have two minutes. We're going to do this. I'm such a risk taker. I pass this down. So risky. All right. Um, by the way, Josh, here's your book. Some of you ordered books. If you want to still order a book, you can tell me. I have just enough for those that ordered, though, that pre-ordered. So maybe one more. Um, okay. All right. Check it out. Check it out. Who's with me? You all have copies? Yes? No? Did it go around? It's going. We got. We got to move fast here. We got. We got to get. We got to squeeze this in. David, are you ready? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, page 22. Take it away. I will give you the context of when this was taught. It's an incredible story. So this was taught in 1977. In the in 770 in the Rebbe's room after his heart attack on Simchat Torah. I will tell you the story next time, but take it away. The sages taught the mitzvah of the Hanukkah lamp. Beit Shemai says that on the first day one lights eight flames and from then on decreases progressively. Beit Hillel says that on the first day one lights one flame and from then on adds one progressively. Beit Shemai's reasoning is that the kindling should correspond to the bulls of Sukkot, which progressively decrease. Beit Hillel's reasoning is that one must ascend and increase in holy matters. All, all stuff that we study, correct? correct? Otherwise, that would have been a what? Right, you've been in a like, massive like puzzle, puzzling. Okay, continue. The anomaly pointed out by the Alter Rebbe is well known. What connection is there between the Hanukkah lamp and the bulls of Sukkot? That's it. We got it in. You saw. You see the question. The question is, the Alter Rebbe, the founder of the Chabad Hasidic movement, asked the question. He says, "What is the connection between the Hanukkah lamps?" And the bulls of Sukkot, what's the connection? I understand that, they, that the bulls of Sukkot go down, so Shammah says these should also go down. But what, what's the equivalency? Yeah. 
You, you can find many things that go up. So what's the, it's going to be some sort of um, logical reason to compare the two and not just say, well, this goes down, that should go down. There's got to be a reason to, to draw the parallel between the two. What is that intrinsic connection? The question is going to be magnified. Oh, you know what? Continue. This question is especially compelling in view of the Tzemach Yeah, his grandson, the third Chabad Rebbe. The third, the, his statement that Beit Hillel's objection to Beit Shammai's view is based only on the principle that one must descend in holy matter. In other words, I understand what he's saying. The Tzemach Tzedek, the third, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, the third Chabad, third Chabad Rebbe, he said as follows, that Beit Hillel, it seems from the Talmud, Beit Hillel is not arguing. Beit Hillel doesn't say... Oh, you know what? That's a silly comparison. Why would you compare? I don't agree. You don't compare the Hanukkah lamps to the bulls of Sukkot. He doesn't say that. He doesn't challenge the equivalency. All he says is, that maybe an equivalency, but I think there's an overarching principle, and that is you always ascend, you don't descend. What that means is that conceptually, Beit Hillel concedes to Beit Shammai. He says, you're right. You might draw an equivalency, but I say there's an overarching principle here. In other words, even Beit Hillel if there was a flaw in the connection between the bulls of Sukkot and the Hanukkah lamps, Beit Hillel should have attacked that. Beit Hillel should have said, that doesn't make any sense. What are you comparing? What does one have to do with the other? He doesn't say that. He says, you're right. It's a good comparison. But I have an overarching principle. That means it's according to both opinions. There's some sort of connection between the two. It's just that Hillel has an overarching principle of ascending and not descending, and that's why he says you should ascend and not descend. Does that make sense what I just said? Okay, which begs the question, so what is that equivalency? What's the connection? Let's read one more. Many sources explain that Hanukkah and Sukkot are connected because they are both eight-day holidays. The number eight signifying the level that is beyond Tishtal Sharut. Beyond the natural order of things. However, this itself requires clarification, since what connection do Sukkot and Hanukkah have to the level of beyond Tishtal Sharut? which causes them to be eight days. You can't, so one, would, I want to answer, by the way, why eight days? I thought we said that Sukkot is seven days. Well, there's also the eight day Shemini Atzeret. So there's seven days of Sukkot and then Shemini Atzeret. So it's an eight day, total it's an eight day holiday. And, and so some say, oh, the, the connection is because both are eight days and, and, and since both are eight days, so that's why Shammai was drawing a parallel. So why are they both eight days? And they're eight days because they signify a level that transcends nature. So why they, how, how do they both signify that transcendent, transcendent quality? Okay, don't worry about that last paragraph if you didn't get it. It's fine. We're going to pick it up next time. And not next week because I'll be in New York, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, next time, we're going to pick it up here. And we're going to explore what Hishtashulot means which is the order of creation. We've talked about that many times, but we'll go over it quickly. What the number seven means, what the number eight means mystically, and how it is. And, and we're, we're going to get to the heart of this question of how is it, what does it mean that both Sukkot and Hanukkah represent this supernatural, transcendent power, this transcendent energy. That's what we're going to get to. All right, and, and of course, we're going to explore further. But understand so far, today what we did was we explore, we, we we went through the Talmudic discussion about Hanukkah. You have your basic Hanukkah facts of what, where, when, how, etc. regarding the observance of the holiday. We also have a discussion of why it is that there's a parallel drawn be- according to Shammai between the bulls and the Hanukkah flames. And we have a few open-ended questions. So far, so good? Many open-ended questions. Yes? Good? Good. All right. Okay, so here, so let me, let me get off the mic and then we'll do a few quick announcements.